The following podcast may be explicit. One Joe Young presents Adventures from the Shed, a tabletop RPG podcast. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com. Welcome to Adventures from the Shed for a special edition of the podcast. This time I'm going to take a few minutes and we're going to talk about some general Game Master thoughts. And we're going to explore some of the questions that I've been asked over the years about how to play a game, how to create characters, how to adhere to rules, all that kind of stuff. So this is Joe, and we're going to get into it here. And I'm going to start with what I think is one of the basic pieces. That is the players. Get to know them, meet them. You you probably heard this before, read it before, but it's great if you can get your players together before you actually start playing the game. What I mean by that is if you can get, say you're the host, maybe you're the game master or you're just a player, but you may be the host, it, it's your location. Get the people together for a, a day, a night, a few hours of um, sitting around talking, maybe play a, a board game or a card game or something to, to pass the time as well. Uh, get some dinner, maybe meet up at a restaurant, whatever it may be. Spend a couple hours talking to people. Find out what it is they're expecting out of the game, what it is you're bringing to the game for them, and make sure that you're actually compatible. Set the expectations for the game. As the game master, you're going to tell them what it is you want out of the game sessions, and you need to find out from them what is it that they want out of the game sessions. Even just simple things like logistics. If you're hosting it, where should they be parking when they come to your place? Uh, if it's an apartment building, maybe they have to park in certain assigned guest spots or whatever it may be. Make sure that you've got the, those expectations set ahead of time. Who's going to bring the snacks? Will you allow snacks at the table? If you're going to take breaks, what are your regular break intervals? There are all kinds of things to consider. Make sure you have that set ahead of time. Because, for example, say you don't have any expectations set about what people should be doing around the table. You may have some people show up and just start doing arts and crafts while you're trying to run a game session. There are some people who may not be able to put away their smartphones, or maybe you're allowing technology at the table. There are a lot of pieces here to consider so that you know what to expect and they know what to expect. You want to make sure those things are completely taken care of ahead of time. And then, like I said, the compatibility of the players. When I say compatibility, it's not just personality. It is make sure that they understand the game you're going to be playing. If everyone has agreed on one system, uh, say, for example, everyone has agreed on Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. It's a great game system. But you want to make sure that once they've agreed to that, how, how are you going to manage it? And that leads me to my next piece, which is the rules. In the rules of the game, what are you allowed to do? For example, does the rule or do the rules of this game have a, a fiat at the beginning is essentially stating, regardless of what the rules say, the most important thing is to have fun. Right, So you can bend the rules, you can do whatever you'd like, make sure you're having fun when you're playing the game. If the game system has that kind of rule in it, make sure everyone's comfortable bending those rules so that you can make sure the people at the table are not going to get upset 
when you as the game master or maybe as one of, when one of the players says, let's just play the rule this way. Or let's just play this situation a certain way. Just because everybody agrees to it, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, to have that true forever. You may go find a rule later that is better in the book because you weren't able to look it up at the time. For example, um, say say you're, you're, you've got your party together and the party's fighting a big monster and they want to trip it and there's no rule in the system you're playing for tripping something. But you go ahead and, and come up with a rule that say you're going to do some kind of targeted shot or a called shot and the player has to roll a certain number in order to be able to hit the thing in the ankle just right to make it fall over. Once you've done that, that's great. Everyone agreed that worked out fine, but maybe later somebody's looking in the rule book and you find there's actually a rule for tripping and it isn't what you came up with. Well, at that point, make sure you talk with the players, make sure you're looking at what's there and what you've created as a separate rule. If one of them is better than the other, just talk about it, come to an agreement on it and make sure you adhere to that later. But always remember you can change a rule if the game system allows it. That said, there are some game systems out there that if you do not go exactly by the rules, you're probably going to break something. Or there are game systems that are, are very rigorous that you need to know exactly what's going to happen next so a player or a situation uh, can be played directly. When I say player, I mean the character. But if a player has a character who's basic abilities or even special abilities rely on certain rules being triggered and you do not play by those rules, essentially you're going to break that character for that player and they're not going to be too happy about that. When I talk about the uh, players and the characters, of course, character creation. This is a big part of getting your, your game together. So now you've got your players that you think are compatible both in personality-wise and the system. Yeah, you have an idea of how you're going to adhere to the rules when you start playing. Now you get together and you're going to do some character creation. Character creation can happen several different ways, of course. So you may have all the players together for an initial character creation session. You may have individuals create their characters ahead of time, maybe exchanging emails with a group or individually and finding out what people are going to create. Now, do you need a balanced party in the system you're playing? In my opinion, at least, most systems do not require a balanced party if you're willing to do that rule bending or, for that matter, just, just making sure as the game master that the party has what they need to continue. For example, when we talk about a balanced party, I think in general, people understand that to mean you have your frontline person, your tank, your fighter, your meat shield. There's all kinds of different names people want to use for them, but those are the big ones that they're usually heavily armored, they can take a lot of damage, and they're standing at the front line and making sure everyone else is safe. Then you'll have uh, your, your healer. Um, then you'll have, and healer's pretty evident, normally it's just somebody who can keep the health of the party to where the party's not dying, right? Then you've got 
typically you, ha- you also have a support class, and that support class would be somebody who uh, helps buff the party or debuff the enemy or a combination of those. So t- typically you'll think of things like a bard or maybe even cleric or some class that, and this is if you're playing medieval fantasy, but those classes are ones that maybe inspire the team or help a, a certain, the, the next person who attacks gets an advantage on an attack role, that type of thing. That, that's what I would consider that support role. And then you've also got your damage dealer. Now, that can be almost any class in some of these systems. It's really a character who is created and tailored to do the most amount of damage in the least amount of time. So, an archer who can shoot multiple arrows. Uh, again, sticking with the medieval fantasy theme, this would be the wizard that can do fireball, fireball, fireball. This is the your, your damage dealer. So the big important thing here is do you need the balance party to make your system, your game work? Or as the game master, can you make sure that the players, once they've chosen their classes, have your support to make it a balanced play? For example, if you've got four players and all of them want to play a fighter class, maybe it's it's easy enough for you to make sure they have healing available, whether that be through an NPC that always likes to tag along with the party that you get to play yourself, or that healing potions are readily available and they've always got them on the uh, on the on their person in the party. Somebody's always got a healing potion ready. Maybe they're using a scroll of healing that refreshes every day. Come up with something that helps balance the party, but also allows the, the players to play the character they wanted to play to begin with. Um, there's, there are a lot of um, cliches or memes or whatever you'd like to call it around a lot of people don't like to play the healer. So the the last person to pick ends up picking the healer, or there's almost always that one player or more that will say, I'll play whatever the party needs. I, I personally think it's more important that people play the class they wanted to play to begin with, the character they wanted to play. So around a balanced party, I think it's just as important that you have balance within what's allowed by the game master as well as the class, classes the character the players have chosen. In character creation, another thing I think is very important is the background. Now, I think a lot of us are familiar with cliched backgrounds. You know, I come from a broken home. I'm an orphan. I was left on the doorstep of a monastery or something of that type it is a very cliche background. And to be fair, a lot of us are going to find that we're picking backgrounds from something that we've seen in a movie or a, a show, a TV show, or maybe a series somewhere, or we've read it in a book. Personally, I think that's okay. I, I know a lot of people like to hear a completely fresh background, and that completely fresh background may not be so easy to come by for the players who are actually in your game. Give them the freedom to come up with whatever they want, or to copy whatever they want from whatever source. I think it's a great way to allow them to have control over their character. But if somebody does pick something that you feel is just overdone and you'd really like to see something different out of it, just ask them what is the unique part of their past that makes this character this character? What what made him that? So if, if it's a, I was dropped off at a monastery, well, 
pick a specific monk in the monastery, and this is what you'd ask the player, you know, pick a specific monk in the monastery or a specific tradition they had in the monastery and exploit that. Uh, was it um, before you eat bread, you have to break a piece off and, and make it as an offering to some deity somewhere, and, and that's something that you have to do every time. And, and that brings me to, if, if you can manage it your characters should have some type of quirk or a catchphrase and then do it and overdo it. This is a way to help make a character memorable. Not every player and every character has to do this or indeed will want to do something like this. But if you can find the catchphrase for the character or something they do all the time, like um, an example, I had one character who whenever he encountered evil or was nervous about a situation this was a cleric who had just cast light on their shield as soon as something weird was going to happen or they were worried about something or or, or fear crept into the situation it was just tap my shield and cast light and as fifth edition dungeons and dragons this was a cantrip for the or he wrote for the cleric so he was able to cast it at any time which was very useful but it allowed for a little quirk and it was something that as soon as the the cleric, the, that character I had, would perform this quick action of casting light on his shield, the rest of the party and the game master knew at that point, well, my character's nervous, my character's fearful of something that's going on. It's something nice to be able to, to allow people to identify with a character. And lastly, for me at least, the name. When you come up with a character name... Well, in my opinion, make sure it's pronounceable, unless that's part of your quirk. If you want to make everybody say uh, your character's name wrong all the time, just so you can correct them, and that's your character's quirk, well, go for it. But if you're making it an oddly pronounceable name, and as a player, you're just going to complain when people say the name wrong, just change it. Or... The way everyone else is saying it, just adopt that. One way or another, just try to make sure you're not creating an argument just because you wanted a specific, weirdly pronounceable character name. Honestly, it's not worth the argument. Other people at the table are going to be much happier that you just accepted the name they chose. Don't allow them to be jerks about it, of course. And this is probably rule number one at any table, especially when you're getting your compatibility assessed with your players nobody be a jerk just figure out how people are going to get along and do that and if somebody does decide to be a jerk address it quickly just every everybody at the table or somebody at the table call it out don't do that again we didn't like that let's move on and then i'm going to move on to player agency here I don't know if this is as fancy a term as some people think, but I can tell you I've been to many of uh, gaming sessions where people don't quite get at least what I understand player agency to mean. And a really basic part to think about it is if you're the game master, just remember the character and the situation the character is in belongs to the player, not to the game master. So it's theirs, it's not yours. If the character has something they want to do, don't tell them they're doing something different. And I make a habit, personally, of I do not tell a 
character or player what their character is doing. They tell me what the character is doing, and I tell them the outcome of doing that. So, for example, if if I go back to that character I was talking about, I wouldn't, as the game master, say, you're, you're starting to feel fearful about this situation. Because to me, that that takes away what I would call the player agency. The, the character is no longer theirs if I'm controlling it. I, I don't want to control that character. I want to, to control the world, in my opinion. Again, I'm going to say that a lot. The game master controls the world, and the, char- the players control the characters. So I want to create a situation in the world that makes the player think it should be fearful a fearful situation for the character. I may say, knowing this character who didn't like the dark, I would specifically say the, the, the light level has dropped dramatically, very quickly, and you hear um, odd noises all around you, like something might be creeping up behind you, and uh, the, the area has gotten suddenly still and create some kind of atmosphere that then the player recognizes, oh, this is one of those times my character's going to cast light on a shield because I know he's fearful. And at that point, to me, that's the difference between um, what the term player agency means compared to uh, a game master just taking that away. You don't want to if, if you want your players to be invested in their characters, you don't want to dip into that investment yourself. Allow them to have the entire investment in the character so that you can stay invested in the world where the character lives. That world, so I'll talk about world building for a minute or so. This is kind of important for how you're going to run the session, how you're going to run the game, how you're going to run a campaign. How how detailed as a game master do you need your world to be? These are questions you should ask yourself if you don't already know them or things you should reconsider if you do already know them. Do you need a complete world to start the game? There are some folks who need to be completely prepared or really want to be completely prepared, and they will create everything right from certain mountain ranges and what lives in the mountain ranges to uh, large cities to little hamlets, which direction does a river flow, uh, economy, who's in charge of what within a certain town, and Every NPC is named and every area has descriptions of what it looks like and what it feels like there. That's okay to have all that, especially if it's something you want. But don't necessarily, or don't let that take away the player's ability to help you define the world as well. You don't necessarily need to start with an empty canvas, but if you start with what I usually call a skeleton of and that could be a skeleton of an adventure, a skeleton of a, a complete world, a skeleton of a, a, a building. Um, once you do that and you know things that should be there, let the players help you define what those things actually are. The reason I say that is if you've listened to the podcast for a while, when you go to the sessions or the, the campaigns where we're playing a non-published adventure, if we're playing a published adventure, of course, we're most likely adhering to what's in that adventure. But the non-published adventures, the Dungeon World campaigns, um, I want to say we had at least one 5th edition campaign where we had different things going. But 
those sessions, what I like to do is I'll ask the players what town they come from and where in the world is that and what is it like. That allows the player to actually define a town into existence. And for me, the key part, I didn't have to come up with that. I think that's great. Somebody else described it. Now, of course, I've got to take quick notes and make sure I know what it was the player said, what the name of the town was, not even how it's spelled, but what does it sound like when they say the name? I need to write that down phonetically so I can repeat what they said. And then when they enter the town, what does it look like? And these are questions you ask the player. When you go in the main road into town, is it, is, are there palisade? Is there a wooden wall up there? Are there stone walls? Is there a fence? Is there nothing but maybe even a simple archway or a sign that says, welcome to town X? Let them define that. Or if they're struggling, help suggest things that you like. Or maybe if, if you're having a hard time defining the, the town, the city, the place that the character is from, ask the other players at the, t- at the table, have you been to town X? And if so, what did you do while you were there? What do you remember about it? Get those, those notes together so that now you're fleshing out that town and you really didn't have to come up with a whole lot of, of, of information for that because it's being created by the entire table. And I think at that point you, you start to learn which players are more interested in helping with that world building as you go and let them have that player agency again. It, it's now theirs and you could even say it's theirs and yours. But when you do this, if you ask one player, where did you come from and describe Town X, when you go to visit Town X, just remember to ask that player, okay, we're going down Main Street, what's on the left, what's on the right? Where can we find the blacksmith? Is there a jeweler in town? Who who can we find here? Who are the important people? Who were your contacts as you were growing up? Your best friend, do they still live here? Let them create all of it. And then you get to pull in the things that they don't tell you. And that's where it's both theirs and yours. But the things they create, let them own it. Let them have their player agency. Don't change it. If somebody says, my best friend when I was growing up uh, turned into the mayor of the town, let that happen. But say, for example, you didn't want them to be friends with the most influential person in the town. What you can say at that point is you can you can weave something into it. It may sound weaselly, but you can still weave into there. Well, maybe the mayor is really just a figurehead in this town. Yes, their best friend grew up to be the mayor, but the puppet master behind the mayor is the captain of the guard, and he's a corrupt guy. And maybe the the player's character remembers this guy from childhood being a bully or something like that. Let let that kind of thing happen, and the player still owns that piece where they said their character grew up with this best friend who became the mayor and the best friend really is the mayor. This is great. That allows them to have what they asked for, but doesn't necessarily change what you wanted to do. This is important to to make sure the players are helping. You make sure that you've got what you need in the area to make your adventure work. And when that happens together, it's nice when it, it's one of those perfect storm, the stars are aligned and, and your horoscope's going to come true today. Those, those times when you've created something with the player and you're both working in that area together, those are the things you'll remember to come the next session, the next session, the next session. 
If you find that all you're doing is going into a place and you're reading the flavor text, the narration, you're, you're reading the description of the area to the players, and all they're doing is reacting to the description that you've given, I think what more often happens is they'll forget part of it, especially the key part. If you're going into an area and the description states, there's a sign that reads, welcome to town X, and you know, right underneath it, it says something like population 230, and that's a key part of the adventure. If you read that out, people may not remember it. If you go into that town and you say, there's a sign that says, welcome to town X, and there's a population sign underneath it, how many people live here? And you ask the players. If they come up with a number, now that number is important. Use that number as the one you were going to use instead of the 230. Somebody there is going to remember that they gave out what the population of the town is. Now, you use that later. If they said population 500, you can say... um, that 500 is now the number you need instead of that 230. The town's population hasn't grown or shrank in the last five years, and that's the the key part, not the number per se. And those pieces, when when you allow the players to contribute, in, in my experience, in my opinion, they're always more engaged in the game. And keeping the players engaged in the game, of course, increases the fun for you as the game master and increases the fun for them. Last thing I'll mention for this uh, episode that we're in, in here, and we'll call this part one of general GM thoughts. The last thing I'll mention is when you're first getting started, a lot of people call it session zero, and I'll, I'll define what I mean by session zero in case there are different thoughts out there. But essentially, session zero is the first time everyone gets together to play the adventure, the campaign, the 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 module, whatever it is you're about to start. This is the first time, session zero, is the first time everybody is getting together to start that. Now, for you, that may be character creation as part of it. It may be that everybody's already got their characters and you're just introducing the session, the world. The important part for me, what are the expectations? Set those expectations for the adventure or for the campaign or for the entire world. And a lot of this may come down to just what do you expect out of the players? What do you expect out of the characters? What can they expect from you? This is also key and probably should have been mentioned a lot earlier. As the game master, what is it that you're bringing to the table for the players, because they're going to look to you, essentially, whenever there's silence, whenever there's a pause in the action, almost every time you'll see the player's head turn towards you, and you need to be ready to fill that gap. So what are their expectations at that point? Maybe you say, whenever there's a pause, I'm going to sit back and let you guys figure out what's happening next, so don't necessarily look just to me. Or you tell them, Whenever you think things are slow, let me know and I'll speed it up. Or it's a combination of those. It can be so varied. But as general advice, what I would say is make sure that everyone knows what to expect. If people expect that you're going to contribute and keep the game flowing all the time, then make sure you set that expectation. Make sure they know what you're going to contribute as the game master and what they should be contributing as the players. This session zero is the first time 
everybody's together at the table. So you have the opportunity there to talk to everyone, make sure they know, again, what's going on, what to expect, how long is a game session going to be, will you have a hard stop because somebody has to leave at a certain time. These are things that you want to make sure that you know right from the beginning. This doesn't necessarily mean that you're also starting the adventure today. But chances are, if you've got characters created, you've got your skeleton of your world built, or for that matter, the entire world, or you're playing a published adventure, you may be ready to start the session uh, zero uh, sometime during that day, that session, you may be ready to start the actual adventure, the game, the the module, the campaign. And if you are, go for it. It doesn't. You don't need to restrict session zero to just getting together and getting ready to play. You can make it whatever you want. But I think in general, people understand session zero to be the first time everyone's at the table. You're either making characters or completing characters. Everybody's talking about their character background. Uh, what is their character like? What do they look like? Uh, what their name is? What class they are? Um, how they grew up? You know, the, the background piece. What is it that everyone else gets out of this character's addition to the party? And then everybody talks about what they're going to be doing in the party. <clears throat> I think that, in general, is what a Session Zero is all about. With that, I'm going to wrap up this first general GM thoughts. I'm going to come back with a part two, probably within a week or so. And that part two will continue with the, the initializing of an adventure, of the campaign, of the module, whatever it may be, and what you should be doing or could be doing and how that works when everybody's together and engrossed in a game, engrossed in an encounter, engrossed in a specific situation. How, how do you handle those types of things? So I'll come back with another part of this, part two of General GM Thoughts. In the meantime, this is Joe, and we'll see you next time. The preceding podcast was brought to you by One Joe Young. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com.